Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. On today's show, we are taking a close look at how beauty standards are being dismantled, dissected, and redefined in 2019. But to look at where we are right now, we first need to look at where we've been. In 1964, Sports Illustrated rolled out its famous first official swimsuit issue. While the magazine has continued to unveil a scantily clad cover model every year since, it wasn't until years later that women would be featured on the cover of the magazine for their athletic achievements. This year's swimsuit issue seems to be bridging a gap between these competing narratives. Although there are still women in bikinis in the swimsuit issue, one of them is an openly gay and incredibly talented athlete, U.S. soccer star Megan Rapinoe. Another is a Muslim model, Halima Aden, wearing a hijab and a burkini. And Tyra Banks is back on the cover 20 years after she appeared there as a young woman, and she's 25 pounds heavier. Sports columnist and commentator Christine Brennan is taking note and reflecting on how the changes in the infamous swimsuit issue reflect social changes that are happening in our world. That's where we begin the conversation today, and I want to welcome Christine Brennan, longtime USA Today columnist and commentator for ABC and CNN to Detroit Today. Welcome to the show. Well, Stephen, it's great to be on with you. I grew up in Toledo, so... Uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, in fact, I still own a home in the Ottawa, uh, Ottawa Hills, the yeah. suburb of Toledo, so I'm, a, I'm a flying to Detroit Metro quite a bit, even to this day. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so tell us about the first time you saw the swimsuit issue. You write in your USA Today column that you were 12 years old at the time. Tell me what your reaction was to it. Right. Yes, I was uh, I was getting Sports Illustrated. It was a gift I got for a birthday uh, um, and right around that time. And uh, that's what I wanted. I was a tall and I'm almost six feet tall now and, and athletic. And at a time when girls were not encouraged to love or play sports, uh, my mom and dad uh, had the exact opposite reaction. They wanted me to play sports, and I couldn't wait till my dad got home so I could throw the baseball with him. I'm the oldest of four kids. So anyway, I had my own personal Title IX uh, back before <laughs> there was Title IX, and that was my, my father and my mom. And so how lucky was I to see the wonderful adventure of, of sports that was going to be a part of, a huge part of my life for the rest of my life mm-hmm. at a young age. And when I asked to get Sports Illustrated for my birthday, Stephen, my mom and dad gave it to me, and I, I've been getting it ever since to this day. And um, I saw this issue that came and when I, I was 12, and I'm thinking, why are there women in swimsuits in my sports magazine? <laughs> and I don't know that the men running, and it was men, running Sports Illustrated back then at, at uh, Time Life in New York, ever even thought of what a girl's reaction would be. Uh, and there were sure, I'm sure there were many girls and women getting Sports Illustrated then, but they never thought about that because it was a man's world and they didn't give it a second thought. And sports certainly was a man's world. Anyway, what a difference now. We really are talking about these issues, all issues, whether it's Me Too or whether it's something more like this. And um, and we are thinking of women's viewpoint because women, of course, are major players in our world and running the world and will continue to do so. And all these young girls playing sports because of Title IX, well, look out, you're calling them athletes now. In 20 or 30 years, you're going to be calling them congresswoman or senator or president. <laughs> right. So, I mean, if you think about it, a 12-year-old girl today who gets a subscription to Sports Illustrated is having a really different interaction and experience with it, given the way that the magazine has, I guess, rethought this whole idea of the swimsuit issue. 
They've rethought it or they've had to rethink it, Stephen. I love to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. That they, just, <laughs> they were forced to, kind of, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yes, in the uh, early 70s, uh, which is what we're talking about for me, uh, they, yeah, they wouldn't have cared. And in fact, all it was was about men and attracting men. And now, um, I think a, a few things. One is you do want to attract this vast audience of women playing sports. Um, we're pumping out, a, you know, what, at least probably a million women into our society every year, 22, 23-year-olds, whatever, who have played sports their whole lives. They're not Olympic athletes and they're not pro athletes, but they played sports and they will continue to play sports. And this is where golf is in such trouble because they're not, golf's not getting these women. Mm. Um, and they're running half marathons and marathons, triathlons, et cetera. And also they're going to be successful and have uh, have a disposable income for the rest of their lives. <laughs> so put that together. That's a pretty important demographic. Yeah. And uh, and as I said, it's just it's millions every year coming into uh, the workforce. So uh, that's that's part of it. I also do think uh, where our views are changing, and you, I think, uh, Stephen, uh, articulated it beautifully of, of what has happened. So they've got this new swimsuit issue, and. It, it is a different view. There's also plus-size women. I think that's been happening for a couple of the issues. I'm certainly not an expert on these issues. I spent a minute or two kind of leafing through, uh, and then I recycled them. I, I don't, you know, it's, it's still... I, Donna Deverona, the great Olympic gold medalist, I quoted in 2000, wrote about this uh, back then, and people still remember to this day, even though they can't remember what they had for lunch yesterday. And uh, Donna Deverona had this great line about, I just really like it. I'm old-fashioned. She said, I want them to keep their clothes on. <laughs> I, I think that's pretty good advice to this day. Because I do think there still is, because we're not seeing 50-50 male-female participation in the swimsuit issue, right? I mean, not even clothes. It's, uh, I, think, you know, I don't think no, there were any men really in this one. There have been men in swimsuit issues. And the ESPN body issue much more close uh, to a balance, 50-50 yeah. male and female uh, athletes there. But... Um, Unless it's 50-50, then I do think we're still looking at that lowest common denominator, uh, the objectification of women uh, in terms of men and the male gaze and what they want to see. This certainly is better uh, than so, it was, and I'm a glass-half-full person, so it's, I think, a lot better than it was, certainly, when I was reading it in the uh, early 70s. So, so I, I wonder what you make, then, of the idea of... Uh, the turn in this this swimsuit issue to the idea of empowerment of the women who are in there. I mean, I think the 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 the, the most dramatic change is the way in which the women who are in the issue are um, are portrayed. So so it seems much less as though they are objects for men to leer at, and and now are more. Uh, proud of the bodies that they have, and proud to display not just uh, their bodies, but their their sort of cultural dynamic that that defines them. I mean, there's there's uh, an agency, I guess, that you can attribute to some of the photography now that I think was not present before. You're absolutely right, and and I made a turn in terms of how I started thinking about this with the ESPN body issue. By the way, I've never been horrified. You know, there were the, the old lines about, uh, I, it was funny to watch a couple of weeks after each swimsuit issue would come out every year, annual event, <laughs> people, cancel my subscription. That's it. You know, I would never have done that. I wasn't going to cancel my, you know, no, it was just silly to me. It was nonsensical. It was, it fits no meaning to me whatsoever. And, uh, you know, I, I got rid of it. I mean, soon, you know, I mean, it didn't just immediately throw it out, but it just meant nothing to me. It was like a, you know, 
okay, let's get that going and let's mm. get the real sports issue out. And um, so I, I do think that that it has changed in the sense um, for me that once I started seeing all these athletes get it, yet I don't get the ESPN, the magazine, I think it's, it's folded or will be folding now, unfortunately. But this body issue got a lot of attention, mm. uh, just like the SI swimsuit issue did. And as, as you looked at it, uh, you saw that uh, someone like Hope Solo, the goalie, uh, controversial, but uh, the uh, U.S. Um, goalie, goalkeeper for the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. You know, there she was, and there were so many other people, and uh, photographed, obviously, discreetly, nonetheless, that I thought, well, okay, something's going on here, and as a journalist, I need to be thinking about it in a different way, or at least looking at it from their perspective. And so for me, it was a real simple pivot to seeing that they do feel that they are striking a blow for empowerment, for their own empowerment. And Megan Rapino, it's actually pronounced Rapino, um, talks, uh, you know, I mean, she's fantastic. I've known her and quoted her at Olympics and Women's World Cups and and a super smart person. And, and she's, you know, here she is. I'm like, she was kneeling to the national anthem a year or two ago in solidarity with Ka- Colin Kaepernick. And now she's in the swimsuit issue. Okay, let's wrap our heads around that one, right? <laughs> and... Uh, and, and so from that standpoint, with, with Rapino being so, um, you know, putting on Twitter and, and, and so open and so wanting to get the word out that she's there, well, clearly something is up and things have changed. And I will say that's positive. I would caution if Megan and I spoke, and we haven't, uh, but if we did, or next time I run into her and we had a good conversation, Stephen, I would then say, great, great that you think it's empowerment. Does everyone else think it's empowerment? And um, that's a question that's open because, again, are there men that are just leafing through it because they can't wait to see these women's bodies? Where are the male models, the male athletes to do this would be the other question. Um, but I do say this, that um, I've had a fun thought. That, uh, when you consider an openly gay woman is in the magazine, you've got an, a Somali-American Muslim model, mm-hmm. uh, Halima Aden, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You've got plus-size models. These are things that men would have written in to cancel their subscription over years ago. <laughs> and so then in, in this case, I think, yes, there has been progress. Yeah. And my guest is Christine Brennan. She's a longtime USA Today columnist and a commentator for ABC and CNN. We are talking about the evolution of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. When it debuted in 1964, uh, it was, of course, uh, about uh, objectifying, really, women in swimsuits. Uh, it has changed significantly over the years so that it is featuring women in very different contexts. We're talking this hour about how beauty standards standards are changing, how our idea of women and beauty is evolving in 2019. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What do you think of Sports Illustrated's swimsuit issue? Is it a vestige of a different time that needs to go away? Or is the inclusion of a gay athlete, uh, a burkini and an older model, indicative of important progress. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Um, uh, Christine, before we get to the phones, I want to ask you about what you think the future looks like for this for this uh, issue of of Sports Illustrated. Is it something that we will eventually see? 
go away or is it sort of morphing into something that gives the women in the magazine uh, more agency and that will continue, I guess, uh, along that road? You know, it could be either one. And, and I, I do think it does. It, it, there is the empowerment factor that we talked about a few minutes ago. I, I really do. They believe it. And so as they get older and run the country, then that maybe just becomes the truth, you know, that even, even if we go, oh, well, wait a minute now, you know, where are all the men in this magazine and, it's, and all the things I mentioned earlier. Uh, but, but again, as this, this generation gets older and makes decisions, it's just a different view of this. There, there is no doubt that that is a piece of the conversation. Hmm. Um, you know, Sports Illustrated, like all magazines and all newspapers, is not having its finest days. So, I don't know if there will even be a, a Sports Illustrated in five to ten years. We have no idea. But certainly that, with ESPN, the magazine, uh, going away, there are clearly, you know, that would certainly alter things if there is no a magazine. Um, it could do it online, of course, but I don't know that it has the same impact as it would as a magazine. Uh, the other thing I noticed in, in the, uh, the issue that I received uh, here a few weeks ago was that there were all kinds of, uh, there was info about what the, the, uh, the swimsuits were, how much they cost, where mm. to get them, those kinds of things. I, I'm sure that's been going on a while. I'm not, a, as I said, I'm not an expert on the SI swimsuit issue. I have not, uh, you know, done uh, tons of research on it. But I, I, I'm sure that's relatively new. So here's the idea. You're a woman and you get that magazine and you like the swimsuit that Alex Morgan, another star of the U.S. women's soccer team, about to go to France to uh, defend its World Cup title. Uh, the, you know, again, Rapino, uh, some of the other women that you see in there, Simone Biles, the gymnast, the great gymnast, uh, Larry Nassar, survivor, mm-hmm. and also world champ, Olympic gold medalist, will be going to Tokyo in about a year for the, the 2020 Olympics. Um, so Simone Biles, if you like that, that, that swimsuit she's wearing, you can now find out what it is and you go, can go buy, buy it. You buy it. Yeah, that's right. pretty cool. And so if it becomes that, and I, I couldn't help but notice that as well. I didn't put that in the column, Stephen, but I, I think that's a big piece of this too. So now it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's about, uh, you're, you're looking at a woman as a consumer. And again, what my point originally was, <laughs> women are making the buying decisions. It's going to change, uh, even if it's male-dominated uh, leadership of Sports Illustrated, uh, although women have certainly been involved in, in uh, leading the SI uh, swimsuit issue, you do have to start to say, whoa, 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 we've got to change this. And again, I think it's part and parcel of the whole conversation of politics in our country, of where we are with women, of women running for president, uh, everything that this is all uh, the same kind of conversation that I think many of us are having in our neighborhoods and in our, our coffee shops around the country. Hmm. Uh, let's get to the phones here. Uh, let's start with Michael in Detroit. Michael, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking my call. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I've been a Sports Illustrated subscriber since the early 70s, and I've always thought that uh, the swimsuit edition was uh, stupid and I don't care what you look like. If you're a woman and you put on a bathing suit to stand in front of a camera to have your picture put in a magazine, then you're being objectified, or you're allowing yourself to be objectified. I think that uh, uh, just because you have a broader definition of who's being objectified doesn't change the fact. You know, I personally thought the purpose of the hijab and the burkini was to not be objectified sexually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a, also uh, conflating sports and beauty is kind of problematic. Uh, 
for the most part, most sports fans don't care what their uh, at the athletes wearing their favorite team's uniforms look like. It's about performance. Hmm. And uh, while there are, you know, many, you know, female athletes that are popular and doing well, uh, the bottom line is 50% of the population are female, and there's nobody stopping them from selling out the NBA, WNBA games. Uh, I just yeah. think that sports is predominantly a male-focused arena yeah. with a lot of women getting into it. And beauty is uh, almost exclusively a female-dominated arena. Uh, Michael, I really appreciate the call and, and the comments. I think that's a really interesting perspective. Uh, uh, Christine, react to what he's saying there, mm-hmm. that, that, that no matter how you portray uh, somebody who's you know showing their body in photographs, that uh, putting it in a magazine and uh, sending it out to customers is objectification. Yes, well, Michael is right, and we agree, because, of course, I said that, too, uh, earlier. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I would say to Megan Rapino if I were to talk to her, as I mentioned, you know, that that is a piece of this conversation. I believe it is less of a piece of the conversation because those people who are going to be running the country, as I keep saying, and I apologize for, for uh, beating a dead horse here, but if they're 25 years old now and when they're 50, they're going to be running the country, that age group, you know, whatever. And so their, their view matters also. So what we think, I like it when people keep their clothes on. I would never do this. I would <laughs> never, ever, at any point in my life, uh, pose uh, in a magazine uh, in a swimsuit, ever. So I agree with Michael. The times are changing. Uh, there is no doubt about that. And um, I think to, to have a conversation and to look at the changes and to understand them is an important part of our culture. He mentioned a very good point about uh, looks. Looks matter for men too, and I'll, I'll you know, Mia Hamm is good looking. Was you know, Alex because Mia is a different generation of soccer. Alex Morgan is good looking. Uh, Tiger Woods is good looking. Would we have fallen in love with Tiger Woods back in the day? And now again, a little bit. Uh, if he were had been an ugly man, <laughs> think about that. Just think about that. Would he have been as big a deal, especially in golf, where you see through the face and all that? And I'll leave you with this thought, and Michael with this thought. Mm-hmm. about looks. Um, but Michael Jordan, Larry Bird. Um, Jordan was better. Larry Bird was excellent, right? Mm-hmm. But think of the, the, um, the sponsorship power, the, the financial power of those two men. <laughs> Michael Jordan was one in the movies. Michael Jordan's the one with all the commercial, right? Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, uh, I think it's easy to safe to say, and no, no offense to Larry Bird, Michael Jordan was a better looking man than Larry Bird. So I do think looks matter even huh. uh, for male athletes. Even for men. Even for men. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, let's take one more call here uh, before we end the segment. JT in Southfield. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Yeah. Good morning, Christine. Hi. Hey, JT. All right. Uh, you know, I, I think, Christine, the thing still remains that with female athletes, I mean, I don't always know that the best athletes, uh, especially for females, are put forward as much as the most attractive athletes. Um, if you look at, like, you know, even I, I look at, like, women's tennis, and Anna Kornikova was a big deal, and she wasn't that great of a tennis player overall. Hmm. Um, if you look at ESPN, 
and the women that they put on, they are knowledgeable about sports, but they tend to be really attractive as well. <laughs> and I'm not sure that that's always equal for men still. Hmm. Yeah, you, you still think there's a, a double standard there. Uh, I appreciate the call, uh, JT. Uh, Christine, is that, uh, is, that, is that still going on? Well, JP is referring to Anna Kornikova, and that's, of course, what, 15 years ago now? Yeah, So a while I think back. it's come a long way, because Anna Kornikova never won a major uh, tennis tournament, and she was known as, or I, I think any tournament, um, she was known as, you know, as the most famous woman to never win a tournament. Um, <laughs> and I wrote about that, and I wanted her to win a tournament, right? Because I don't care what people look like. You know, just, just you know, justify the attention. Well, guess what? A year or two after that, someone came along who was pretty darn good-looking who could also win tournaments. That was Maria Sharapova. And um, I would I would lead us to a conversation, JP. It's a, it's a great point, but I think it's a point of about fifteen or twenty years ago now. Mm-hmm. Because um, I, I will, Serena Williams is one of the greatest athletes, male or female, of our generation and ever. Hundred years from now, they're going to be talking about Serena Williams the way they talk about Babe Ruth or Babe Didrikson Zaharias. Um, she's that good, that important, and that meaningful as a new mom and what she's done culturally. Think of the millions and millions of new moms riveted to her play yes, last year and this year as well. Um, Serena is, I, I'm tall and, and uh, you know, I've always been a tall, uh, big person. She, uh, she is way bigger. She makes me look petite. Mm. And we love Serena Williams. We have fallen in love with her. I think she looks great. I think she is great. Is she controversial at times? Absolutely. Think about the way the nation looks at Serena Williams now as an African-American woman and a very, very big, bulky um, you know, substantial person. I yeah. say that as someone myself. I'm not being critical at all. So please don't don't tweet me about that. What I'm saying is, though, and the nation loves that. The nation would not have loved that, and the world would not have been cheering for that 20 years ago. And that's what I'm talking about here. The change has been in women's sports generations. They probably have five years, and things are happening so quickly that JP has great points. But I think those points now are are uh, a little bit old-fashioned and a little bit passe, with all due respect to you, JP, because I do think things are t- happening so, so, so quickly, especially involving women in our culture and, of course, women in sports. Okay, Christine Brennan, longtime USA Today columnist, commentator for ABC and CNN. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you very much. Yeah. Up next, we're going to have a conversation about natural hair and beauty queens with Elizabeth Wellington of the Philadelphia Inquirer and community organizer Piper Carter is going to join us as well in the studio. Also next week, we are going to be broadcasting live from the Mackinac Policy Conference on Mackinac Island. We'll hear from some of Michigan's most prominent public officials and business leaders. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Listening to these right today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. For centuries, the idea of good versus natural hair has been a primary tool in the subjugation of black women and black men. In fact, in several places throughout the Western world, including right here in the U.S., Hair texture has been used as a key marker for racial and social classification. While civil rights protections have emerged as a buffer against the more obvious forms of mistreatment against blacks, prejudiced views about hair, and black people's hair in particular, persist as a legacy of this loaded history. Now consider this. As of earlier this month, 
all three of our country's top beauty queens are women of color. Miss USA, Chesley uh, Christ, Miss Teen USA, Kaylee Garris, and Miss America, Nia Franklin, are all African Americans. So at this moment in time, when the country's three top beauty queens, a title that's pretty indicative of our beauty standards, are all black women, our next guest makes the case that it's finally time to say goodbye to cultural legislation that stigmatizes natural hair. That's why we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And I want to welcome Elizabeth Wellington, a fashion columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, also covers celebrity style, pop culture, and the city's burgeoning local designer scene to the show. Elizabeth, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Piper Carter, fashion photographer, community organizer, and founder of We Found Hip Hop. Uh, Piper, welcome back to Detroit today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for doing this topic. Yes, this is this great. Is, I think this is a, I think this is a fascinating uh, development. Uh, Elizabeth, I'm going to start with you. The topic of hair in the black community is one that is really loaded with a lot of history, both externally and internally, uh, and most of it is really oppressive. It has a really negative context. So tell me how that legacy and the crowning of these beauty queens situates us for a change at this moment. Um, thanks. That's an awesome question. Um, I, you know, when I, I saw on, I believe it was uh, the CBS this morning, when someone made the point, I think I saw all the three beauty queens, mm-hmm. and I, I was you know, the, the black woman in me was super excited. I was like, oh my God, this is kind of cool. I haven't seen this before. <laughs> But within 30 seconds, my mind sort of stopped, and uh, and I started to think of um, what what this meant and what we're telling um, people and what we're telling young girls about um, what beauty means. And at the same time, you know, here in Philadelphia, and I know it's not a, a young woman, but here in Philadelphia, we had a, a, a wrestler who was forced to have his dreadlocks cut or his locks cut yes, um, back in about December. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then it was in California. I mean, we actually had to have a legislator um, introduce a bill um, protecting natural hair. And I thought that, you know, and as a woman who has locks, I was thinking to myself, you know, I should be able to be beautiful, stand in my own truth in my beauty. Like, mm-hmm. it's so important to feel that what comes out of your hair naturally, what comes out of your scalp naturally is beautiful. And I think that black women really struggle with that because the images that you see us in, um, that's not necessarily the case. And for whatever reason, we're forced to to straighten it and relax it. And, And these cause health problems. And not only is it bad for your skin, is it bad for your you know, mental to sit. I don't know if you've, you've probably never had a relaxer before, but it's not a very pleasant situation. Like sure. it, it burns, it hurts. And so to actually have to physically change something that comes out of you um, as you are, um, it, it was just distressing to me. Um, so we're saying that black women are beautiful. You have to accept us completely, like all of us, all of the parts of us. Um, that we were forced to change and switch, especially our hair. Like our hair, black women have had to had to change their hair to fit into mainstream society since since we arrived here. So, and I know it's very convoluted and it can be um, it's it's a lot of ideas, but that's kind of what drove me to write this column because yeah. I was thinking, you know, here we have these three beautiful women. Um, and not to take anything away from them, because I am so happy to see them, but all black women 
to be able to wake up and look at their hair in the morning and say, you know what, I don't have to relax this. I don't have to blow this out. I'm beautiful as I am. Um, and so that was just, the, the, those are just my thoughts coming together. And that's kind of how that story was born. I pitched it to my editor and she was like, great, write it. And <laughs> that was it. So so do you think that uh, because these are women who are doing something to your to their hair, they're sending, are they sending a negative message? Are they reinforcing this negative context about the idea of natural hair? Or they just happen, do they just happen to be women who choose to do those things to their hair? I mean, is it is it necessarily um, about this greater context? Um, I think that I think that over the years, people have had choice, mm-hmm. and that choice is reflected in in um, in a lot of hairstyles today. But sometimes, sometimes we make these choices because we didn't realize that we had no other choice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, people, we have, we all have choices. And now we can kind of wear our hair as, as we want to. But then, you know, sometimes, like, like for example, when I was born in the 70s, and I've always worn my hair, um, I didn't have a choice. Like, my mother pressed it mm. when I was young. Mm. And so as I got older, I would press and relax my hair. And then I looked up and said, why was I making this choice? (laughs) Like, was I making this choice because society and my mom and all these people told me to make the choice? And is this really the choice that I want to make? So I became very aware that this was a choice that I was making because it was kind of thrust upon me. And so I think people have choices. And shout out to all women who want to straighten their hair. Like if that but if if there's something in you that you know, you have to know kind of why you're making this decision. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Because it is convoluted, and that's a very good question. Because sometimes you don't know where your choices begin, and someone's, your choices end and someone other choices, other people's choices begin. Sure, sure. The, the history has an effect and, a, and plays a, a huge role in, in all of our lives and all of the individual decisions that we're making. And sometimes we're just not even uh, all that aware of that, uh, of that influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Piper Carter, I wanted to, to get you involved here and talk about this issue of hair, uh, natural versus uh, versus pressed or, or processed hair. Uh, what do you make of these three beauty queens and uh, what they say about this hair issue? It's so it's so complex. I love that she brought up the the idea of complexity because on the one hand, um, the contest in and of itself. Just a contest that women are pitted against each other. <laughs> For beauty, Who's the right? most beautiful here <laughs> in the whole world? Um, you, you, or you. Um, so that's already problematic. Um, but I would say within the context of that, if we're celebrating uh, beauty contests in that world, then um, I'm really excited that at this moment in time that people are finally um, allowing themselves to say, you know, yes to uh, black women, you know, winning mm-hmm. these competitions. Because I know growing up, I was born in the 70s too. And always growing up, you'd always see the black women. She'd be there. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be at home like, she's going to win. And then, <laughs> and she would never win. It'd always be the like Barbie, blonde hair, blue eye one. But so in that context, yay. Um, but then in the context of um, of natural hair, um I've always had natural hair. I grew up, my my family's African-centered. My family has always been very against 
uh, processing, um, straightening in any way. And for reasons of um, celebrating and honoring your black identity, but then also health reasons, as you know, was mentioned before, um, you know, um, if you go online where there's lots of information, useful information, um, scientists have discovered there was there there was a um, a a study done where scientists looked at um, skeletons of um, of black women over time, uh-huh. and it was discovered that 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 lie that was inside of the um, perm mm-hmm. had was found inside the skeleton, the head skeleton inside the bone inside yeah. the bone of uh, of I don't know hundreds or however many uh, black women they um, studied, and so that goes to show right if it's all the way down to your bone, that means it's going through your brain. And just think of all of the, uh, you know, just just mix that with with, with <laughs> you know everything else. So I would say, yeah, personally, I'm against it. And and at the same time, having been a part of lots of these types of conversations, I do I must honor um, that women do have choices, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And just like you were speaking about, you know, choice before, right? Like where is it? Where where's that boundary? Or where are the lines? Or where's the openness? For people to understand what their choices actually are and why they're making and them. why they're making them. Yeah. And so, yeah, for me, you know, I'm going to out myself. I'm totally against weave. I'm totally yeah. against anything that's unnatural. At the same time, though, I honor that every woman must be confident and comfortable and has the, the right to choose what that means and what that looks like. So, you know, I, I have, most of my black women friends have some sort of augmentation um, that they've done um, to their hair. I respect that. I honor that. And they're beautiful, you know, re- what, whatever they do. Bald, you know, no hair, um, yellow, spiky, curly, <laughs> whatever they want to do. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it, it is complex, it right? Is. It is, yeah. absolutely. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, we're talking about hair, uh, hair as a beauty standard, natural hair versus processed or pressed hair, uh, especially in the African-American community, the history of the pressure on black people to do something different with their hair and not wear it naturally. Uh, do you have natural hair? Do you uh, wear your hair without chemicals or processing? How much time goes into your hair each day or each week? And do you feel pressure to treat your hair differently than you do by your friends, by your families, or by your employers? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Kathy in Heartland. Kathy, what's on your mind? You there, Hello. Kathy? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, a memory of an experience I had. This was a long time ago. I worked at what was then Manufacturers Bank. So you know it's a long time ago. Yeah, really. <laughs> I had one young uh, African American coworker. She had this nice, short, very nice-looking afro. You know, everyone else in the department had straightened hair. And then one day, this woman came in, and she had had her hair, hair straightened. And people swarmed her. They were gushing over her. They were complimenting her. Oh, really? They made such a big deal. That, that she had had this done, and and secretly I was kind of sad because I really liked her hair, and I I, I felt there was something 
beyond the hair. It was like, you know, I, I felt like I had to compliment her, too, because everybody else was, and I didn't want to. But, but, but honestly, I, you know, I wanted to say, you know, sorry, you felt like you had to do this, hmm. you know, is what I really was feeling. Uh, and I think it was that she conformed, yeah. that she was being rewarded for conforming. Mm-hmm. And and that was what I was picking up on, and 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 that's why it bothered me, or part of why it bothered me. Yeah. Um, the I, other thing I will say is, uh, years later, no, no, I I am a white woman myself, so I don't understand. But I had a friend hairdresser talk, and we started talking about um, African American hair, and when I learned what women go through and young girls go through to straighten their hair. I was horrified, you know, the, the pain, the expense, the amount of time. I, I, I was just really shocked by that. Mm. And I think, you know, people don't know what it physically does yeah. and, and, and what an ordeal it is. And especially, you know, these young girls who, who can't move or you're going to get burned and, yeah. and everything. And, and that was upsetting to me. Yeah. Kathy, the I really... Thing, yeah, I really appreciate the call and and the comments in the story, uh, uh, Elizabeth and Piper. One of the things, one of the subtexts here is uh, ownership and agency of yeah. yourself, and it's, it goes beyond hair, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, nobody yeah. nobody tells white people, men or women, about what their hair should look like. I mean, with that, with some exceptions, right? I mean, uh, there, there there are some things that they could do with their hair that would attract negative attention. But it does seem as though uh, if you're African-American, other people often feel like they own the choices that you ought to be making. They and yeah. that's the point. Like that, That's why <laughs> that we have this legislation is driving me absolutely insane. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you work for a bank, you know, and you have dreadlocks. I mean, there's a woman who has locks, and I think she was in Mississippi. I mentioned, or Alabama. I'm not, don't hold me to the, the state. But she's there, and they, this, these companies actually have a right to say, we will not hire you because you have locks, mm-hmm. because we deem that your locks will be eventually messy. Mm. So how does a company get to tell, that is agency over another person. So you're sure. telling me that I cannot wear my hair in a look that's cultural that's not only cultural for me but it's more pleasant my hair likes it right when when black women have locks most of their hair grows it is full it, it you know it is soft it is it is it is it is healthy and so you're telling me in order to work for you i have to make a choice to damage my hair and you have to write laws that say that so that's why so many. That's why choice is so clear because so many women feel like you know they're forced into a choice that maybe they wouldn't make. And the world is so different now, right? We're you know we're trying to exercise more. Have you ever had a relaxer and been sweating in your head for an hour? <laughs> you know that is like you know you and can you go home to wash it and then blow it out and then curl it? Like you have to do all of these things to conform. So we actually have to have rules now, laws on the book. So that you know, this legislature is latest legislator is putting laws on the books that say, you know what, 
you it is it is unconstitutional right, that's right. for you to tell black women that they have because that's what you're telling them subconsciously so people believe unless you grow up in this space um like piper where you know you your family is afrocentric and they're like go you all the time because we as a people you know it, there's a lot of pressure to conform just so you can eat yeah. yeah, you know, just so you can pay yeah, your just rent. so you can live, just so you can live. You know, my when I started growing my locks, my father was like, mm, "I guess you won't meet a husband now." Wow. I was like, "You guys got to be kidding me!" So, that's terrible. So that's the kind of world that we live in. So these are why women are making choices, and I think that you know, and you don't know. Like when I decided to lock my hair, I was a young reporter. I was working in North Carolina, and I was like, "You know what? I'm not spending this money. I mm. have to pay a car note. I have to pay an apartment note. Somebody is legislating me." This part of my budget, hmm. a relaxer was $100 every six to eight weeks. Right. You're telling a young journalist who has to pay her <laughs> car insurance and her life you that spend my money on this too, right? is more yeah. important than this. And that's what you're absolutely right when you're saying you're legislating my agency. Because right. white, white women do not have to, you know, if they want to dye their hair or, or cut it or do something different to it, that's their own choice. But they're not doing it for survival. Right. Vanity versus survival is the issue here. And mm-hmm. you're making people make cho- beauty choices based on survival and not vanity. Yeah. yeah. We, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I hope you'll be able to stay with us, Elizabeth Wellington uh, of the Philadelphia Inquirer. We're going to, of course, keep Piper Carter uh, right here in Detroit. And we're going to get to more of your calls talking not just about natural hair versus processed hair, but we're also going to talk about other fashion impositions that uh, get made against women and African-American women in particular. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Ryan on the east side of Detroit. Karen in Detroit, we will get to you as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guests are Elizabeth Wellington, a fashion columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and Piper Carter, who's a fashion photographer, community organizer, and founder of We Found Hip Hop. We're talking about beauty standards, beauty standards as they pertain to hair and hairstyles in the African-American community. Also, just beauty standards generally, the things that get imposed on women and African-American women in particular about how they dress, how they wear their hair, all kinds of things that rob them of the agency that the rest of the population uh, takes for granted. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. Let's get back to the phones here. Ryan on the east side. Ryan, welcome hey, uh, to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Uh, good morning to your guests as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Piper wanted to say uh, good job on that Odyssey show uh, last year. Um, but back to <laughs> Thank this. Thank you. Uh, so <laughs> I, I am a, uh, I'm a black man. Um, I wear my hair natural. I have a daughter. She wears her hair natural. But she is going through this phase of being influenced by peers and what she sees uh, out in the streets. And she's been talking to, to me about her dad can have weave. And my, my, my reaction has always been a, a very firm no. Mm. Um, she wants to color her hair. And I was like, you know, I don't think that's appropriate. Your hair is very beautiful. You know, for myself, I, I have uh, a, which I guess you would consider a, a curly fro. I literally just wash my hair and condition it. And that's it. And that's how it, how it ends up. 
um, another point that I wanted to make is that, um, you know, we, we, I think that black women have uh, culturally appropriated straight hair uh, via oppression. You know, it was for such a long time that, you know, we would call each other's hair nappy as if that was a bad thing. Sure. When a, a, a nap is nothing but a, a, a uniform curl. That's all it is. That's how our hair grows out of our heads. Um, a third point that I wanted to make, hopefully you guys can touch on this, uh, all three points, is that um, we have these European standards being um, pushed to our black women and to our black people in general. Because, uh, you know, as a black man, we are asked, I won't say asked, but we're expected to have a low haircut. Yeah. So that our natural hair doesn't show. Um, mm-hmm. But we're, we're, we're having these European standards um pushed upon us and also sold to us by people who do not look like us. Right, right. Ryan, Ryan, you are are singing my song right now about uh, men and their hair. I mean, I've been been letting my hair grow now for about a year and a half, and I cannot tell you how many people have had something to say about that. I I shaved my head for almost 30 years uh, just to sort of make it easier to take care of and, you know, roll out of bed and not worry about it. And I decided uh, last year to, to, to let it grow. And, and so many people have had something to say about why I'm growing my hair. What, what does that mean? Uh, why are you doing that? Why don't you cut it? Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, it, it, it does cut both ways uh, with, with gender. Um, uh, Piper, I want to I want to ask you about something that Ryan's saying there about the way in which his daughter is uh, now pressing for for something different. I mean, this really is about um, how we feel about ourselves and mm-hmm. how we come to feel about ourselves as we mm-hmm. go through adolescence and adulthood. And I, I feel like uh, as much as this is about imposition from the outside uh, mm-hmm. white standards being applied to African Americans mm-hmm. we have really done a, a a bad job of making you know young black women young black boys feel like they're okay uh, we are not great at making it so that they feel like they can wear their hair however they want yeah okay so I'm gonna be kind of controversial here mm-hmm. if that's okay that's fine and we only have four minutes left. But. <laughs> four minutes, yes. I'll, I'll do the best I can to wrap it up. But in general, I think that um, we, meaning the African-American community, puts much of our uh, value on appearance. Mm-hmm. So the, it's how you look mm-hmm. over who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, oh, look, he looks so handsome. She looks so great, right? But, you know, in... In reality, right, do we say that about people that are shaped larger? Do we say that about older, our elders? Do we say that about people who, um, you know, physically don't match up to uh, what would be considered, you know, a a sort of a standard? And so I think that um, for me personally, um, the way that I personally define beauty is more of an inside thing, right? Right. there's lots of ways in which we, you know, try to portray beauty and, mm-hmm. and, and it shows up on the physical. Mm-hmm. But real beauty is really, you know, who, who you, you are. are yeah. It's in your heart, <laughs> right. you know, um, no matter what. I mean, just a shameless plug. That's why I 
created mm-hmm. this sustainable fashion magazine. Mm-hmm. It's going to launch in September. You guys will know all about it. I'll come back here and promote it. We're going to be on Easter Market after dark. Yeah. But my thing is, you know, beauty is in, you know, appreciating others. It's in, you know, how you treat other people. Yeah. Um, you know, how you view other people, right? How you speak to other people. Like, that's real beauty, right? And that's coming from a high-end fashion photographer. Yeah. You know, I enjoy color, (laughs) line, texture, tone, shape. Like, all of that is great to me. I enjoy design. I enjoy that. But in but for me, beauty is something that's that's deeper. Beauty is, for me, more akin to love. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so yeah, I'd, I, I I'd like wanna, to see us do that a little more. I quickly want to get to so another call that's that's got a really different perspective. D in Farmington Hills. Uh, I've got just a couple minutes left, but uh, go ahead. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for um, um, patching me in. Uh-huh. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Okay, great. Um, I had a somewhat different experience. I've tried it both ways. When I was a stay-at-home mom, I had natural hair. I didn't relax it anymore. I figured I'd try it. I like the look of the fro, but I had to do more work to maintain it because I would get up every morning, bedhead, very lumpy hair, kinky, and I'd have to wash it every morning and have to use lots more products to try to keep it moist. Mm. And once I started relaxing, and like some of what you're saying is part of my experience when I was relaxing it, getting burned, but I thought I blamed that on my hairstylist and the quality of the work they were doing mm. because... Um, I'm someone who works at a major OEM in supplier quality, uh-huh. so I try to control the process as much as I can. I bring in the product I want, wow. I tell my stylist exactly how I want it done, and I don't have burns uh, from, from relaxers. I prefer it, and you know, like my daughter wow. and I come home on Sundays after swimming. It takes me a few minutes to wash and blow dry my hair, but then we spend hours on her hair, which is still natural. Right. Uh, the, so I wanted I, to ask your guests, you know, like, how long did it take to get your hair rolled? Yeah. And how, how, how the, long are you at a stylist? The, I don't, I don't, I don't I, like being at salon. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I've only got a minute left, and I want to get uh, Elizabeth's reaction uh, to that. Well, here's the thing. Just because your hair is natural doesn't mean it's easy to take care of. Right. Like, that, that, that's the myth, right? So, and, and the other thing is, is that you can't expect, a lot of times we, well, I hear a lot of women say, I'm going to go natural, and then people are frustrated, right? Because it's, your natural hair is not doing what you, quote, unquote, want it to do. Your natural hair is not going to do that. <laughs> it's, and, the, no. and it's the part, it, it's like you're, you're fooling yourself, right? It, it, it takes grooming, you know? And, and, and taming. And, either, and, and, taming. And, and you have to, and not even taming, because I don't know if I really like that word, because then you're basically mm. saying that your hair has to be, you're, you're putting <laughs> it, you're making your hair the enemy, right? You're not embracing it mm. for what it is. So if you, when I went natural, I was also telling myself, I had to learn, what does my real hair feel like? What is it going to do? And you have to accept it for all that it is. So if you're going natural with the idea that, you know, it's going to do what you want to do, (laughs) you might be wrong, right? You're going to be wrong and disappointed. (laughs) uh, Elizabeth (laughs) Wellington, fashion columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, Piper Carter, fashion photographer. 
Great to have you both here on Detroit Today. We could have continued this conversation all day, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, thanks very much two. for being here. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Call me back. It was fun. All right. Uh, we will talk again next week when I'm on Mackinac Island for the Mackinac Policy Conference. Meantime, have a great Memorial Day weekend. This is 1019 WDET at Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again next week.